the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. All righty then, good morning to you. Thank you for joining us as we get started at nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. It's a Thursday, the second morning of the second month of the year of our Lord 2023. Groundhog's Day, if you, uh, or Groundhog Day, I don't know. Which is it? Johnny Hobbs? Groundhog's Day or Groundhog Day? There's uh, only one Groundhog, I believe. So we're not using the S. Just Groundhog Day. All right. I guess. Although there are, there are there is two more than one Groundhog. Because you know that Ohio, not wanting to be left out of the fun, they created Buckeye Chuck to compete with Puxatawney Phil. Right? That so doesn't count. It doesn't count? <laughs> I kind of agree. It's just one of those goofy... First of all, I watched it this morning. Only because it was on my TV. I didn't seek it out. And it's one of the goofiest traditions, I think, ever. It's just straight-up clownish. I don't know the history of it, which is weird for me, because whenever I see things that I find clownish, uh, I, what's the origin of that? You know, I, I got I look it up. I'll, I'll, I'll try to find out and figure it out. Just curiosity, you know. Uh, and I did it one time, but it was so nonsensible, so uh, uninteresting to me, I, I forgot it. 
So I, whatever the origin is, it's just goofy. And I watched that thing today, this morning, at, or at least it was on my screen as I was doing some prep and taking some notes for my show. And um, Gobbler's Knob is the town in uh, in Pennsylvania. And they got all these clowns with top hats on. <laughs> and they're pulling this this uh, this groundhog out and then reading this pre-prepared scroll and saying there's going to be six more. It's just one of the goofiest things that we do. I... I I like I said, I almost wish I remembered what the origin was, but I don't care enough. But it's bad enough that we have the one groundhog. But if it is Groundhog's Day, it's because there is more than one. Because Ohio said, "Oh yeah, well we can be just as goofy as Pennsylvania can." We're goofy too, you know. We don't have to take Punxsutawney Phil's word for the weather forecast. We can get our own groundhog. We'll do Buckeye Chuck. Yeah, we'll call him Buckeye Chuck. See, we're we're just as goofy. As they are, I don't get it, man. So a lot of things that I do, that, uh, there are some things that I don't. And by the way, I'm looking at my calendar right now on my uh, phone, and you are correct, singular, Groundhog Day, Groundhog, singular day. So Buckeye Chuck doesn't even get the love from uh, from the Apple calendar. So there you have it. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's the last I'm going to speak of Groundhog Day for 2023, I promise you that. So thanks so much for being with us. We have a lot of uh, things that we are going to do today that are not goofy, that are important. Uh, Dr. Everett Piper is going to join us at 1010. We're guest heavy in the back half of the show. The first hour is open. Uh, so this hour, literally, like now, is a good time. If you know what you want to talk about already, this is a good time to do it. I do have some news I want to get into myself uh, coming up here in a moment. And if you want to wait and respond to that, that's okay, too. But uh, we do have a lot uh, to get into. Dr. Piper at 1010 is going to talk to us about speech not being allowed to be free anymore, specifically because uh, of the uh, offensiveness not declared in speech but taken by those uh, who choose to be offended. And uh, you remember the, the insanity over the word field being banned? By um, the AP, the Associated Press, said in the new AP style book, they're going to ask people to replace the word field with something else. As in, I study in the field of biology. Or I'm going to do field work uh, out in the, uh, you know, in the, in the swamp to, to, to study, you know, a species. Um, if you reference field, apparently, and I told you this story a couple of weeks ago, if you reference the word field now, according to the Associated Press, that offends people who have a history of working in fields against their will. It's offensive to black and, black and brown people because the word field brings up a really bad connotation for them, which just led to all kinds of insanity. Uh, people saying, yeah, well, I guess the Indians need a new left position player who sits out there in the grass on the left side of the uh left side of the uh the baseball diamond uh i hope they and it's just as goofy as it sounds trying to take the word field out of everything there isn't the infield and the outfield anymore in major league baseball if they follow ap style book guidelines you know it would be the closer to the plate area and the further away from the plate area we can't refer to fields anyway that's how stupid it is it's more than just stupid. Well, Dr. Piper is going to talk to us about things like the word illegal. Because now <laughs> there are universities who are saying the word illegal is no longer a word. It's no longer allowed to be used. It is a pejorative. It is an insult. It is a slur. It cannot be used because it is not inclusive. It is, in fact, offensive. So apparently, 
if you make a lane change without signaling, you can't say, or a cop can't tell you, you made an illegal lane change. You made a lane change that was in violation of proper laws, might be what he has to say. I don't know. But you probably know where that's going. No human is illegal. No human is illegal. How many times do we have to hear that nonsense? No human is illegal, so therefore, calling somebody an illegal immigrant, or much worse, an illegal alien, ooh, that's just awful. That's offensive. And of course, you know, we all have a right to go through our day-to-day lives without ever being offended. And if someone does, we demand justice. We demand some sort of recourse. Somebody offended me with a word I didn't prefer to hear. And something's got to be done about that. It's Orwellian on steroids. It's, uh, you know, it's doublespeak. Dr. Piper wrote about that for his latest piece. He'll join us to talk about it in more depth at 1010 this morning. At 1035, you're going to want to hear Catherine Engelbrecht. Catherine Engelbrecht is the, uh, well, she's a lot of things. She was the founder of True the Vote, which was formed uh, about a decade ago, maybe, uh, maybe a little more than that, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, True the Vote vote was uh, was, uh, created to essentially audit and confirm or find the opposite, that fraud is being conducted in American elections. Uh, After several questionable election results and questionable tactics and uh, things, uh, irregularities, I think we like to call them, uh, that were discovered, True the Vote uh, was born to try to get to the bottom of all of this. She has since expanded her horizons in the name of justice. Uh, both electoral justice and beyond. And she is now leading the charge, or among those leading the charge, to um, help the January 6th political prisoners, who are still being held now more than two years after uh, the January 6th riot that resulted in their arrest and detention, uh, their rights to a speedy trial being completely violated, their rights to uh, confer with counsel being completely eliminated, uh, they're being kept in conditions that many describe as worse than the conditions of terrorists in Guantanamo Bay. And uh, Catherine is working very, very hard, along with our friend Tom Zawistowski from the We the People Convention, uh, to find recourse for uh, the January 6th prisoners. More specifically, she and the group she represents wants to make sure that the over 14,000 hours of video from January 6th that Kevin McCarthy planned and pledged to release, that they are released, and that they're released not just to the mainstream TV news networks, but that a copy be released to an organization like Catherine's so that they can use advanced AI technology to track individuals from the beginning of their movements that day to the end to find out who went where and for how long and what they engaged in, what they really did, what they didn't do. And maybe, and more importantly, to track individuals who were, according to some, questionable in terms of their intent, that maybe they were working as agents, federal agents or agents provocateur, who were there to try to stir up the crowd and to pump it up and to incite it into becoming what it did become, which was a riot. started out as a protest, became a riot. It was never an insurrection, because insurrections don't happen without weapons, and there were no firearms. It was a riot. It was. Who started it? Why did it start? Those are things that the federal government does not want the answer to. The January 6th committee did not want the answer to. There, There is an opportunity now to try to get some of the answers. 
if the right thing is done with those uh, 14,000 hours of video. So we're going to talk to Catherine about that at 1035. And at 1110, back to Ohio, school school choice is an ongoing and very important issue. There's a backpack bill in the Ohio House that we've been talking about and debating for many, many months. Now uh, there is an expand or an opportunity, I guess, for an expanded school choice or ed choice, rather, voucher in that system. That's being pushed by uh, represent, or excuse me, State Senator Sandra O'Brien from Ashtabula. She's uh, she introduced that last week, Senate Bill Eleven. It's called the Parent Educational Freedom Act that would increase funds uh, in the form of homeschool tax credits and in the form of Ed Choice scholarships, so that more parents can avail themselves of better schools than the bad ones that they just happen to be stuck in because of the uh, the zip code in which they live. So uh, State Senator O'Brien will join us. So there you have it. Everett Piper, Catherine Engelbrecht, and State Senator O'Brien. I'm looking forward to their calls, and I'm looking forward to yours. 216-901-0945, Either one of those numbers will get you here, and I look forward to those. Now, before we do anything else, I'm going to ask you, as the patriot that you are, to rise, if you would be so kind. Face the flag that you have nearby you. If you have done that, if you have not yet solved that problem, I know you'll work on it. Don't forget, it doesn't have to be anything elaborate. You don't have to go and put a pole in the yard. If you even just put a put an image of a flag on your phone, just take a look at it when we're doing our pledge. It will work just fine. Put your hand on your heart and join us. If you are a believer in the mythology of America as an irredeemably, systemically racist country, the way we were told yesterday by leftist, leftist racial arsonists at the Tyree Nichols funeral, if you believe any of that, well, then you don't believe in what that flag represents, and you have no respect for the people who died and who sacrificed everything to make sure that we were not a racist or a, uh, uh, an oppressive nation. So since you don't believe in that flag, you are exempted from the request to pledge your allegiance to it. I'm going to ask you now instead to take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback while the rest of us stand and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. For all. all right, 921, I've got a lot to say in a very short time to say it. I'm going to take that time out right now. We'll come back. I'll give you a few thoughts. I will welcome your phone calls. No guest at 935. So if you dial now, you can get on between now and 10 o'clock. That I promise you at 216 We'll talk about that funeral yesterday and the racial arsonists continuing to try to burn this country down. That's coming up. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Nine twenty-five now. Always right. Radio on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. So, I do see people on hold already. Bear with me, and I'm glad you called. Like I said, I'm guest free for the first hour. So if you don't get on it to second, don't hang up. You'll get there. Uh, yesterday, the uh, funeral was held for uh, Tyree Nichols, the twenty-nine-year-old black man in Memphis. Uh, identifying by his race only because this is the subject of the story. Uh, he was beaten to death by five black police officers. And somehow, some way, this, of course, is proof of America's irredeemable racist, racist and oppressive, oppressive policing and this oppressive society. Uh, Al Sharpton, 
who is one of the worst human beings, I think, in the history of the planet, certainly of my lifetime. He is a racial arsonist who sows discord and division everywhere he goes. He is a hateful person when it comes to people who are not black, specifically to people who are white. And his uh, willingness to set fire to cities with his with his language uh, and then move on to the next one is, um, well, it's legendary. And he made a point of it yesterday. Somehow, some way, somebody decided to give him a microphone at Tyree Nichols' uh, funeral yesterday. And rather than talking about the life of Tyree Nichols, he took the opportunity to attack policing in America and the entire country as being racist. Al Sharpton stood there and told everybody that if Tyree Nichols was white, he would not have been beaten like he was that night, which, of course, is absolutely absurd because police officers have done bad things in the past. It's very rare, quite frankly, when you talk about 800,000 cops. These kinds of incidents are very, very rare, but they happen more to people who are white than they do people who are black. What's the difference? The difference is they never make it to the television screen. The difference is they're never in the newspaper. The difference is nobody cares. So he condemns and says that if Tyree Nichols was white, this wouldn't happen. His rhetoric was matched, if not exceeded, by Joy Reid on, on MSNBC, who is um, just this side of, of you know, uh, well, I don't want to be insulting here to other people. Uh, let's just say that she's not even quite a half-wit. She's a quarter-wit. Um, she's, she's not smart. She's, she's, she's loud, and she's boisterous, and she's hateful, but she is not smart. Joy Reid went on MSNBC and declared what happened to Tyree Nichols uh, in Memphis uh, is just a shining example of America. She literally said that th- that this uh, situation in Memphis, Tennessee, is as American as apple pie. This is what happens. Black people are routinely assaulted, beaten, brutalized, or killed by police officers, even if the officers are black, because the black officers are race traders who don't see themselves as black. They traded in their blackness for their blue. That's the mentality that we are getting, which is why I introduced the pledge the way that I did. There are people, and Benjamin Crump, who is, of course, maybe the worst ambulance chaser, uh, racial ambulance, ambulance chaser, I guess, uh, in this, in this era of, uh, of, of the United States. Benjamin Crump, who, uh, flies as fast as he can to every place in America where some perceived injustice has been done to a black victim by police, usually. And, um, and he shows up and immediately he becomes the lawyer representing that family and then cashes in in a massive way, uh, not just with the criminal trial, obviously, but he files the civil lawsuits and then cashes in uh, and takes half of whatever it is he gets for the, uh, for the families there. We know Benjamin Crump, by the way, racial arsonist, for his turn in Akron. He came to Akron a few years ago when there was a young woman killed, a uh, uh, young black woman killed in Akron. And the story got around that he was she was killed by white racists. And he flew here to immediately represent that family. And when he found out that she was killed by an African-American, he screeched his tires on his way out of town. I want nothing to do with that. Because now if I defend this black victim, I have to go after the black perpetrator. And so he wanted nothing to do with that. Nope, there's no money to be made for me here. Out. But, of course, if the co- if the blacks happen to be cops, well, now we can just erase their black skin and may blame this on the blue. 
So all of these racial arsonists are doing everything they can to literally, well, figuratively with their words, but they try to create it literally by getting the riots and the, uh, uh, you know, and the ultra violence going in the name of quote unquote justice against an oppressive nation, an oppressive racist police force and uh, law enforcement society, criminal justice system. This is what they do. There is more damage that is done to black people in America by Al Sharpton, by Joy Reid, by Benjamin Crump, by Whoopi Goldberg, and others than could ever be done by police officers, ever. Because they literally drive police away from black neighborhoods where the crimes are out of control and where the black victims of those crimes need their cops. I got a lot more on that, but I welcome your thoughts, too. 216-901-0945. 216-901-0945. And by the way, the, the murder of Tyree Nichols, I've said a million times, is an absolute atrocity. Not just a tragedy, but an atrocity. No one will ever defend those cops. I won't. But I am also going to talk about the reality of, uh, of policing in America, and that's not it. 931, we'll be right back. you reason in the age of unreason always right radio with bob france and the answer 9:37 on this thursday morning really appreciate you being with us don't forget dr piper after the top of the hour guest free for the rest of this hour 216-901-0945-888-281-1110 once again race in america continuing to dominate the discussions if it isn't gender and it isn't the trans movement uh, trying to indoctrinate and to groom kids into alternative deviant lifestyles it is constantly race it is exactly what sad to say the democrat party the american left the marxists and uh, and socialists uh, in training this is what they do. This is what their goal is. It is all about identity politics. Judge people based on their color, based on their identification, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, and make sure that there's a huge division there because they cannot tear down this country, this free republic that it is, if it is united. It must be divided. It must be splintered. If it is splintered, it can crumble. It will crumble. And then they can build up the dystopia that they all envision in true socialist Marxist fashion. So uh, this isn't an accident. This is real. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Those are the numbers to get through uh, this morning. Charlie in Vermilion is up first. Charlie, thanks for waiting. Go right ahead, my man. Hey, Bob. Thank you for taking the call. You bet. Not sure if you heard our president, Donald Trump, was on the radio this morning. Like before you were on, he was on the Hugh Hewitt show. Very interesting. Very excited to see that he's back on the campaign trail. Was there something particular? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm thinking is it's the dynamic is going to be really different this time because both, I mean, Donald Trump can only run for four years and Joe Biden can only run for four years. So I think the dynamic of the whole thing is going to be a little different. I'm hoping the media is going to lighten up when they see it's only going to be four years for Donald Trump versus maybe eight years for Ron DeSantis. So maybe they'll just say, hey, we can take four years of Donald Trump versus eight years of DeSantis. What do you think? Uh, 
Well, first of all, on the second half of that, where you mentioned Joe Biden can also run for only another four years, I don't think Joe Biden, there's any chance that he's going to be the Democrat nominee. I do not think there's any chance of that. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to go ahead and just slide on over to the number two and hand this to, to Kamala Harris, but they're going to find somebody. They cannot put Joe Biden, whose uh, popularity, his approval ratings are still among the lowest in, in presidential history. Uh, his his ability to handle crises are, is, is just awful. They know that the American American people who are suffering through massive inflation, massive uh, hits to their uh, to their retirement funds, to their kids' school funds, and so forth, um, they just can't. They can't run him again. They they know he won't win unless he's running against Donald Trump, because they really believe that that Donald Trump has poisoned the well water so much among uh, even Republicans with his attacks on people like DeSantis and his attacks on uh, you know those that he considers to be not loyal or disloyal. Um, so I, you know, I, I think the only way they would run Joe Biden is, again is if Trump is there. But if there is Ron DeSantis or somebody else on the Republican side, they are going to have to match youth with youth. They're going to have to match, you know, fresh ideas rather than roll his old bones out there to the point where he would be what eighty seven, eighty six by the time he got done with the second term. And if you think he's cognitively impaired now, uh, you you can't even imagine what he would sound like at that age. So I truly don't think Biden will run. Uh, and as far as the media goes, uh, it doesn't matter if, if uh, Donald Trump was only president for one more year. They would do everything they could to savage him and stop him. They hate him unlike anybody they've ever hated. And if you thought they hated George Bush, uh, <laughs> George Bush II, W, um, pales in comparison to the way they feel about Trump. One term, two terms, one year. If Donald Trump was given six more months as president, they would fight tooth and nail to stop him because that's how much they hate the guy. Interesting. Uh, last week you used an analogy of like uh, why you know, the disloyalty that Donald Trump was saying, Ron DeSantis is disloyal because he helped him win the election. And you used the analogy of a, an assistant coach not being able to go coach somewhere else. And I'm saying, no, nah, it's really the assistant coach coming up and taking the head coach's job. And that's kind of more disloyal than, than I would say. What? You're yeah. Well, about. you know. I, I, yeah, but of course, that that's not that's. You, I think your analogy is a good one. It's a fair one. But that doesn't happen unless a coach is fired. Now, if a head coach is fired and he's replaced by his assistant coach, um, that's something that's up that he to gave the, the that, job. That, yeah, that's up to the yeah, but that's up to the team owner, not to somebody campaigning for it. The way you would have to do in this case and campaign against him. The reason I phrased it the way I did is because you'd be now competing against directly the guy who hired you, the guy who gave you the opportunity to to grow your career and shine and you know be be a, a desirable head coach candidate somewhere else. And then you get you signed as the head coach in his division, and then you're going to play him twice a year and try to take him down. It would be stupid for that head coach to say you're disloyal. How dare you? Um, and I think in the same way, the fact that he endorsed Ron DeSantis for governor of Florida and Ron DeSantis won, and now Donald Trump thinks that that means Ron DeSantis owes him to not run uh, for a higher office against him or else it's disloyal, I, I think it's just it's it's indefensible. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. I'll give you another one, Charlie. Um, I read this. I can't remember where. It was like a letter to the editor, I believe. I think it was in the paper, not in a print, or not online, I mean. But somebody said, you know, um, Jeff Sessions uh, endorsed President Trump 
uh, in uh, 2016, uh, back when he was, uh, you know, helping to run his campaign. Huge, huge assistant, uh, and in fact was a big part, not just endorsement, but you remember Jeff Sessions was a big part of the Trump campaign in 2016. And then, of course, Trump named him Attorney General, and that didn't turn out to work. It didn't didn't turn uh, out to work so well. But then when Jeff Sessions left as, as Attorney General, he wanted to get back into the Senate again, go right back to the same seat that he had before in Alabama. And what did Donald Trump do? Donald Trump endorsed his opponent. He endorsed his opponent. So if President Trump is so big on loyalty, you owe me if, if, uh, if I helped you, how can he do that to a guy who helped him? Jeff Sessions helped run Donald Trump's campaign in 2016. I mean, he went to work for President Trump and helped him become the President of the United States. And when he wants to run for Senate again, did President Trump return that loyalty with loyalty and endorse Jeff Sessions? No, he endorsed his opponent in the primary. Well, uh, and well, Jeff I'm Sessions lost. So if loyalty matters to, to 45, then I think he needs to demonstrate it, not just talk about it. Well, I'm still hoping Ron takes the vice presidency and, and takes it because he's young enough. We could have 12 years instead of four. So that's I'm yeah. just hoping that's how it happens. Okay, my friend. Charlie, I appreciate the call as always. Good stuff. Um, I'm going to disagree with that last part, by the way. I, uh, that'll never happen, and it never should happen. Ron DeSantis is a rising star. He is not going to hitch his wagon, hitch his wagon to President Trump, uh, who is considered to be the opposite of rising. He's, he's on his way out, whether it's now or if he does get one more term. Uh, and again, the level of vitriol that is, that is, that is directed to President Trump from the media, from the political establishment, even many in the Republican Party, it's unprecedented. It's also inexplicable because he has not done anything to deserve the hatred that is heaped upon him. He just hasn't. All he did was what, what the left, I think, hated most about Trump is they thought he was one of them. For most of his adult life, he had liberal leanings, liberal positions on abortion. He, he uh, was tight with Bill and Hillary. I mean, he was just perceived to be. That's why Oprah Winfrey... A, you know, a devout leftist, uh, had him on his show or her show in the 80s and 90s and kept begging him to run for president because they thought he'd be a great Democrat president. Then he comes out and says, finally, he's going to run for president in the 70s. And then he's a Republican. And he, and he's not only a Republican, he's a super uber conservative Republican with some of the best positions and best platforms and best policies that any of us have ever seen. And they can't stand it. That's part of it, but no. But he is hated unlike anybody else, and Ron DeSantis would be foolish to hitch his wagon because he would then have to do what Mike Pence was asked to do, and that is cover for everything President Trump does or says, even if you don't agree with it. And uh, he's not going to do that. He's not going to sacrifice his career, which is so bright because he's so young. Uh, he's not going to sacrifice the rest of it by getting involved in that. Not to mention President Trump would never want Ron DeSantis as his vice president. And the reason why? President Trump has to be the biggest star of every room. He gets to be and has to be the star of The Apprentice who tells all of The Apprentice uh, um, contestants, you're fired. He can't be one of them competing. He has to be the biggest star in the room. And Ron DeSantis is a superstar. He doesn't want to compete and have anybody stealing any of his luster. He is very, very, very much driven by his own ego. Most candidates are. 
most successful politicians, most successful athletes, most successful entertainers are driven by their own egos. If you don't have a big ego and think that you're awesome, you can't perform the way that you have to on those types of stages. But his belief in himself means I am the man, I am the guy. The only reason, he said it last week, the only reason Ron DeSantis is governor of Florida is because I made him governor. I endorsed him. I pushed him over the top. So you think he's going to want to be president when people are clamoring for uh, for the vice president and that the vice president is getting as big of cheers or as big of a, or a higher approval rating maybe than the president? It'll never happen. Trust me, if you trust nothing else that I've ever said about politics, any predictions I've ever made that have come right or that have come true or ones that I've been you know been wrong about, if you never trust any of them, trust me when I tell you that Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis will never be on the same ticket in 2024. Never happen. Neither one of them would want it. Derek is in uh, Richfield. Hey, Derek, you're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Good morning, Bob. Thank you. Um, so there's a, a local story that aired off Friday, and it was about a, a Parma Heights man. Um, he was uh, Cro- from Croatia. He had moved here, um, became a, a U.S. citizen, but uh, he was arrested because federal authorities um, they found that yeah he had lied about you know during his application process, but that he was guilty of war crimes in Croatia, Yugoslavia during their and Serbia during their kind of civil wars that was going on in the 90s. And um, so you know that story just broke, and I guess it just caught my attention. Um, and uh, I didn't call him then. Uh, well, if I may, if I may, I, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not 100 percent sure where the story is from, so I'm not terribly familiar with it. Where did it break? Where did you see it or hear it? Oh, well, I mean, on, on Salem, just on, you know, 1420 and then 1220, you know, during the news bulletins, that was... A, oh, it's was just in the news bulletin. Okay, I, I just I just yep. wanted... No, I, I don't know any details yep. on that. I'm going to have to look into that, but go ahead and finish what your thoughts were on it. Yeah, and then, you know, you look at ABC and other, other news, you know, you have to look it up, it's, you know, they, they describe that. But um, I guess it's just, in, you know, interesting to me that, um, you know, and this is from years ago, crime that happened in another country where he... You know, it was a politically motivated uh, murder that this man was charged of over in Croatia at right. the time. And, um, but it's just interesting. It, it's just to me, it, it shows that, you know, laws, immigration laws, you know, can be enforced. Even um, things that, that um, you know, federal authorities can look into things. So it's incredible that, you, you know, you think of the, um, the crimes that are committed here from obviously illegal immigrants coming either across the southern border or uh, what about everyone who's been totally unvetted from the the catastrophe and us leaving Afghanistan? Nothing looked right. into. It shows the thing, you know, they can and they can find things out. And just the the uh, just the idea that you have sanctuary cities in these places that that won't the um, things that are more relevant and pressing here in this country. They can, you know, they they can investigate and know who's coming in you know this is just yeah. just an example of this well, the, 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 let me let me let me let me cut to the to the chase here um what yep. you're talking about um is very easily doable because you're right this is an example of what they can dig in and find out about your background and vetting you to decide whether or not you can legally immigrate to this country uh this is this is simply a matter of the remain in mexico policy that president trump put in place and did so with the approval and the partnership of the uh, uh, Mexican government. And that is, if people want to come here, and it doesn't have to be from Mexico, if they're coming here from the Northern Triangle, if they're coming here from Africa, if they're coming here from South America or from Europe or from Croatia, and they're coming by way of our southern border, you you claim you're seeking asylum, and we have to have an asylum hearing for you to determine if that's warranted. 
Um, you can't wait in Boston. You can't wait in Philadelphia. You can't wait in Cleveland and then disappear and never show up for your hearing, which is what millions of them are doing. Wait in Mexico so we can find out if you're wanted on war crimes charges in Croatia or Yugoslavia or whatever. Uh, wait until we find out if you're on a terror watch list. Wait until we find out if you are, uh, you know, uh, uh, a gang member or a cartel member or a drug runner or whatever, or if you've got felonies on your record. That's what these hearings are for, to see who we're going to let into the country. And, you know, of course, what Biden wants to do is say, let's let them in first, let them go hide, and then when we call their name and they don't show up, well, what are we going to do? They're gone. So you're, you're right. We can find this information out, and we can find this information out about these people before they ever get here. This case you're talking about is indeed proof of that. Yeah, exactly. Just the, just the inconsistencies, the unequal application of, of the laws and, and why things are, seem to pick, pick and choose. Okay, okay, I, I get it. If this man is guilty and that happened and, and he lied about be, becoming a citizen here, I understand that. But then there's so many other examples, obviously. Um, look at the, the angel moms, right? You know, and, and all, of, you know, all of that. Things that could be prevented, the crimes that are happening here. Yeah. That you could look at, or, or, or again, yeah, you have to sleep ourselves, find out if he's a terrorist or not, and prevent something from happening. But um, just, yeah, just my thoughts. If I heard that great, story Friday. Great, and great points. Yeah, I have it. I, I pulled it up while you were talking, by the way, directly from the Department of Justice, you know, how a man charged uh, with immigration fraud uh, for concealing war crimes charges in Croatia. So, yeah, I've got it in front of me. He's from Parma Heights. Uh, so, yeah, your story is right. Uh, what you heard is right, obviously, and your, uh, your point, you're making a larger point here about selective prosecution of potential uh, immigrants into this country is indeed... Uh, uh, is indeed questionable at the very least. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate the call. Great call. 953. Be right back. Always right radio. So let me just hit you. It's kind of funny that uh, uh, we just had that Charlie Kirk promo there because he's talking about censoring of speech. I'll give you another example of it. This is the insanity that we are facing right now. And that's what Dr. Piper and I are going to talk about after the top of the hour, the attack on free speech and words because uh, of the offensiveness that uh, some take. Not that is intended, but that some take from it. A clinical psychologist and professor who teaches a mandatory diversity class at George Washington University apparently created a hostile environment that promoted violence against civilians according to a complaint filed with the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights. Dr. Laura Sheehy sits on the board of the USA-Palestine Mental Health Network, and she practices clinically from a, quote, trans-inclusive feminist and liberation theory model working on race and white supremacy and decolonial struggles. So in one instance raised in the civil rights complaint, Dr. Sheehy, while teaching a course about diversity awareness, and to help sensitize future therapists to biases, verbally attacked a student for talking about terrorist attacks in Israel, which may have killed, which did kill civilians, including Americans. Dr. Sheehy, quote, took offense at the student's use of the term terrorist attack, says the complaint. First reported by the Washington Free Beacon, the professor then claimed that the student's comment invoked Islamophobia even though the student never mentioned Palestinians, Arabs, or Muslims in her comment. She simply talked about a terrorist attack in Israel that killed Israelis and Americans. Well, this doctor, you can't use those words. Terrorist attack indicates Islamophobia because you're clearly anti-Palestinian. 
One Jewish in the, a Jewish student in the class said they were crying, feeling deeply unsettled and unsafe after a speaker was brought in who then advocated for violence against Israelis. So you got a Palestinian supporting professor telling students you cannot call Palestinian attacks in Israel terrorist attacks, and then she brings in speakers to openly advocate violence against Jews and Israelis. This is this is this is where we are, my friends. It's why I talk about this stuff virtually every single day. Everybody sitting sitting in classes like those, whether it's in Washington D.C. or anywhere else around the country, these are the future decision makers in this country. These are the future curricular writers. These are the f- future uh, 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 diplomats and those who make the decisions that will guide our country going forward. And it is terrifying. All right, time out for news. On the other side, Dr. Piper on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Right Radio with Bob Frant on AM 1420. The answer. Eight minutes after 10 o'clock, and hour number two is launched on this Thursday, the second morning of the second month of the year of our Lord 2023. Uh, good calls in the first hour. I told you we were going to be guest heavy in the back half, and that includes right now as we start hour number two with our regular Thursday commentator, one of the generals that we trust in our army as we continue to fight this culture war. He is Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper is a best-selling author. He is a weekly columnist for the Washington Times. He is a radio-slash-podcast host, host in Oklahoma. Look for The Rebellion, wherever it is that you get your podcast. And he is a past university president as well. Dr. Piper, good to have you back. How are you? Good, sir. I'm doing great, Bob. I hope you're doing well, too. So I'm trying to figure out um, how we, how are we supposed to deter or uh, refer to the I-L-L-E-G-A-L word if we're trying to ban it? Are we <laughs> If we're not allowed to use, for those who know what I'm talking about, you haven't read Dr. Piper yet. You should have because he put, it, he put this on his uh, Twitter feed. You should follow him at Dr. Everett Piper on Twitter. Uh, his latest column from this past Sunday is the left's attempt to declare the word illegal, uh, illegal, which I guess you can't say. So it's um, against the law. It is uh, something that is that is no longer allowed. I don't know how they're going to do it. But, Dr. Piper, this assault on free speech by changing the definition of words, which you talk about, uh, and by just banning other words that have that have no uh, basis in offensiveness or profanity or hate speech in any way, just banning the words because somebody else finds them trigger, triggering or uncomfortable puts us in a very, very great dangerous place, doesn't it? It does. Um, this story comes from Cornell University this past week. And you all know that because my career was in the ivory tower, that I just have a conniption. I mean, I have a cow when I see the ivory tower becoming the Tower of Babel. And that's exactly what's happening right now. Cornell just declared the word illegal, illegal, if you're referring to illegal activity in terms of coming across our borders. So, so if you've got somebody that enters the country unlawfully, okay, 
<laughs> you got to be careful. Yes. <laughs> if 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 you enter the country unlawfully, it's now illegal at Cornell to call you an illegal immigrant. I mean, this is just absurdity to the extreme. They can't make any sense when they communicate. And when I say they, I'm talking about the elites in the ivory tower. I'm talking about the academics. I'm, I'm talking about the smart folks that think they can tell us how to change our vocabulary. I mean, it, you know that one of the things I said in here, I said it's like we're living in a crazy land, this rainbow lexicon where uh, love now means hate and hate means love and men are women and women are men and it's it's a Mad Hatter's world where red is now a number and two plus two equals green. I mean, it's just nonsense. It makes no sense. They know this, but yet they continue. And while I'm on this little rant, one of the things that drives me as crazy as this verboten word, this unlawful word called illegal, is this forcing on us the, the poor grammar. Uh, you're, you're telling me I have to re- refer to somebody in the singular by using the plural. I mean, that's nonsense. You're not a they. You're a him. <laughs> you're not a they. You're one person. <laughs> so I just think that this is the this is the reason we're having so much difficulty in our culture right now, even communicating sanely, because they've torn down the boundaries of everything. They've torn down the boundaries of truth and falsehood, right and wrong, good and evil, bittersweet, light and darkness. They've torn down the boundaries of men and women, women and men. They've torn down the boundaries between adults and children. They've torn down the boundaries between the very definition of words that should just have an objective dictionary understanding. And surely, illegal is synonymous with unlawful behavior. And when you do something that's unlawful, I think it's okay to say it's illegal regardless of where you came from whether you came from across the border or inside the United States. If you're speeding, it's illegal. Well, what we continually hear from uh, the the freaks on on that side of this argument is that no human being is illegal. That is so offensive. It is dehumanizing to call somebody illegal. And, you know, of course, nobody's saying you're not a human. Nobody's saying you're an illegal human. You have committed an illegal act, and therefore, by definition, you can be considered as a modifier. You are an illegal uh, resident or an illegal occupier of this place. Uh, you know, the word legal uh, is, is synonymous with the word lawful. Uh, so if something is lawful, it is legal. If something is not lawful, it is by definition illegal. Your action is illegal, and there is nothing wrong. But I mean, you, you probably remember the story from a couple of weeks back. I think you and I discussed it. I know I discussed it with my audience. Um, the Associated Press in the new AP style book uh, committed to erasing the word field. Do not use the word field anymore. Talking about the field of study in which you are uh, pursuing a degree. Talking about field work that you are going to do, uh, you know, in, 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 in real corporate America or in real uh, biological or scientific America, whatever the case might be, if you're doing field work, because that brings up negative connotations for black and brown people who were once forced to work in fields against their will. Um, it, 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 the insanity of this, Dr. Piper, I, I, I don't think there is a lid. I don't think there is any boundary that they will not cross anymore uh, in trying to change language based upon the feelings and the triggering of, of certain portions of the population. And this is where the biblical worldview comes into play. If there is no measuring rod, this is a quote I've given repeatedly on your show, but it's such a seminal quote. People need to commit this to memory. If there is no measuring rod outside of those things being measured, you can do no measuring. That's straight from C.S. Lewis. I'll repeat it. 
If you don't have a measuring rod outside of those things you're measuring, you can do no measuring. What Lewis was telling us, you can't measure something by itself. You can't look in the mirror and measure something by what you just see in the mirror. You have to have a yardstick. You have to have a ruler. You have to have a tape measure. You have to have a scale to measure something, and that scale has objective worth above and beyond the thing that you're weighing or measuring. And that is true for morality, and that's true for ethics. There has to be a judge off the court blowing the whistle when we play the game, or there are it's in, you, you can't play soccer, you can't, can't, can't play football, you can't play basketball if there isn't a referee, if there isn't an umpire, if there isn't somebody blowing the whistle. And that in, our, in the human experience, that whistle, that referee, is the objective truth, the self-evident truths, natural law, the revelation of God tells us that certain things are right and wrong. I was in a debate yesterday with an atheist uh, on a program from Great Britain, and he started pushing me on my biblical worldview. How well? I'm pu- he said, "You're pushing your Christianity on us." He said, "I'm an Enlightenment liberal," and I said, "But where did you get your liberty?" I said, "Your own scholar, G.K. Chesterton, said if you get rid of the big laws of God, you don't get liberty. You get more and more laws." I said, your liberty that you prize and cherish coming from the Enlightenment is grounded in the laws of God. If you expunge culture of those laws, it's going to be chaos, and we're living in it right now, sir. You have to have an objective standard. You have to have a measuring rod, and those measuring, that measuring rod, that standard, is the law of God. It's the revelation of God, and I concluded with him, Bob, and I said, you know that rape is wrong. I said, you know that the Holocaust was a bad deal. You know that slavery is evil. Why do you know those things to be objective truths? They're wrong. And I said it's because of the revelation of God, and it's truth with a capital T, and it's not your opinion. Your opinion doesn't matter, sir, nor does mine. What matters is the truth with a capital T as it's revealed by God. Well, Dr. Piper, as much as I loved hearing you say that, I'm a little disappointed that you did, because I had it queued up, and I was ready to play it for you from exactly that point, literally. Right so... I don't care what your opinion is. I actually said that in the commencement. I said, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me what today what your opinion is. What matters to me today, that is, if you're going to be an engineer, you learn something about the principles of engineering. If you're going to design airplanes, I hope you design one on the basis of reality and fact rather than your opinion. I won't play the rest of it because you just paraphrased it. For <laughs> but that was a terrific uh, uh, commentary and great points that you made. And I want to make one more point in closing this co- topic, topic before we discuss the fact that dieting is racist, um, according to Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. Um, I, 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 and this is going to sound stra- startlingly uh, hypocritical when I say that I am extraordinarily offended uh, by the notion that someone else can purport to tell me how I can speak, and what words I can use that I know to be objectively true. When I see a female who says, no, you will refer to me as a mix or as a they or a them or whatever, when I know full well what the correct pronoun is for for this person, for someone to tell me that I have to acknowledge and play their game and participate in their charade and participate in their, their new language, their new speak as they see it, and the worst part about it is it's not even uniform among quote-unquote them, each and every person has their own language um, that they expect me to learn and speak. So I'm offended that they would use their own offense um, to, to take my free speech right away from me. 
Because free speech, of course, is not just the freedom to speak, but it's the freedom to remain silent and not be compelled to say something I do not want to say, nor that I believe in. And I'm just, I'm very offended by that. What makes me different than them is I'm not going to demand some sort of legal recourse over it, but I just want to say it for the record, and I want to say it in public, and I want it to be a part of the public discourse, that it is awfully galling. Uh, it, it, the, 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 the gall of the temerity, the, the chutzpah, whatever you want to call it, for these people to tell me what I can and cannot say, particularly when the things that I am saying are, are objectively true and have been established and accepted for, you know, thousands of years in the, in this language. Uh, literally for over 2,000 years. This is the way it has developed. Uh, for them to tell us that I cannot use that language as I see fit is, uh, uh, it's beyond the pale, and it's just galling. I'll give you the last thought on that one. Okay. What you just described is what David Horowitz uh, calls in his book, Left Delusions. It's his intellectual autobiography, really, is what it is. David Horowitz talks about when he left the Black Panthers and he actually converted, if you will, to conservatism, he realized that his old worldview, neo-Marxism, um, critical theory, whatnot, was a was a worldview that was ruled by the gang, and it frightened him because the gang had all the power and they could crush any dissent. They had the right to be offended, but you don't. We're offended by you, but you can never be offended by us because we have the power. We will crush you if you say that we offend you, and that's exactly what you described right now. It's the it's the inconsistency of the tolerance agenda. They have the audacity to say, I can't tolerate your intolerance, which makes them self-refuting and hypocritical. They're offended by your offense, but you have no right to be offended. It is circular. It is nonsense. It makes no sense. It's self-refuting. It's hypocritical. It's duplicitous of every turn. It's the rule of the gang. And that's what we're seeing. When you dumb down everything to nothing but feelings and opinions, it's the masses that will just crush anybody who dares to raise his hand and say, I don't think that's true. They will shoot the messenger rather than attend to the message every time. Absolutely right. Dr. Everett Piper is our guest. We'll take our time out here at 1021. We'll come back, and Dr. Piper will tell us how and why dieting is racist. Yep, it's coming right here on Always Right Radio. Okay, 1024 now. Let's continue with Dr. Everett Piper for six more good minutes. Dr. Piper, the New York Times, reporting and writing on the new policy, apparently, at uh, Mount Sinai Hospital. By way of a January 6th roadmap bulletin, the hidden link between diet culture and racism, a letter to the Mount Sinai employees. Uh, at the beginning of January, millions of people set New Year's resolutions, often focused on health and wellness. I would think that a hospital would be all for that, but, quote, however, many may not realize there is a bias and even outright racism inherent in some of the diet culture and these res- that these uh, resolutions are based on. As we reach the end of January, we wanted to take a moment to explore how some of these topics and how they continue to impact black and brown people. All right, Dr. Piper, I don't know about you, but what I just heard is is that dieting is racist. And you think what? Well, it's, it's the same story, really, Bob. I mean, okay, so we've redefined what a woman is, and a man can come by and steal everything that belongs to a woman, her sport, her scholarship, her shower, her bathroom, because the elitists have decided that a woman is not an objective fact any longer, but just a feeling. And now we've dumbed down the definition 
of health. We've, we've decided that you can't call a spade a spade and tell somebody that they need to lose some weight because the extra weight they're carrying is putting stress on their heart. You're going to develop heart disease. You're going to get diabetes because you're carrying too many pounds. Almost everybody listening to this show right now has probably either had to say that to their friend, their spouse, their mom or dad, or they've had a doctor say it to them. I mean, this is the reality of life. We've got to stay in shape. Isn't that what part of the human existence is? But you can't even you can't even uh, cite a scientific fact any longer if it if it offends somebody. I mean, the, the, I'm, I'm going on a rabbit trail. Right? Gavin Newsom is out be disparaging the issue of sobriety this week, saying, well, everybody self-medicates all at once in a while. We shouldn't be talking about straight and sober all the time. Okay, so you want everybody to be drunk and high all the time so you can continue to brainwash them with your lunacy. I mean, this is anti-science. It denies the truth. It elevates feelings over facts, and it celebrates a person's opinion. If they want to feel good about being obese, then you're supposed to celebrate it, even though it will kill them. That is not a loving thing to do. It is actually hateful to uh, to imbibe or allow somebody to imbibe their own delusions. And you know what? What it also is is it's just you know another attempt to divide us in ways that you know there should be no room for division. I mean, we want people to be healthy. Uh, a doctor, a nutritionist, a dietitian, all say we want people to be healthy. All people. And guess what? Exercise is good for all people. Black, brown, white, purple, green, and yellow. Um, a, a lower calor- caloric intake is better for people, for their health, for their heart, for everything. How on earth does this get into the division among races? I, I'm, I'm fail. I mean, I, I read the article, or at least I skimmed it well enough to know what they said. And Dr. Piper, I'm, I'm still failing to understand how this could be objectively hurtful to black and brown people to say hey everybody let's do healthy things well what they're i think what they're suggesting in the article is that if you come along and you tell somebody of color to stop eating fried food for example um and they'll say well our diet our culture enjoys fried fried food that particular item more than your culture so you're being racist by telling us to quit eating as much fried food Well, that's not racist. It's just a fact. If you eat fried food, whether you're black or white or whether you're Hispanic, whether you're male or female, you're going to suffer accordingly. It's not healthy to consume over, you know, to overconsume fried food. Now, is one culture doing that more than another culture? I think that's what this article is admitting, but they don't want to admit the next shoe to fall should be tell them to stop doing it so they could be healthier. Yeah, and and well, and, and again, everybody is afraid to say anything that might be, uh, you know, th- this is something I talk about all the time with my gr- my group at Citizens for Free Speech, and uh, uh, you know, offense is not the responsibility of the speaker. Offense is a decision made by the by by the uh, the individual doing the receiving of the message. Uh, if I do not intend to offend, you cannot then claim offense. If I am saying this will be healthier for you, and I am in no way saying anything about your culture or your race, just saying fried foods are really bad for you to have a lot of them, you should probably scale back a little bit in the interest of your own health. If you take offense at that, that is not a me problem, that is a you problem. The speaker is not, it is not incumbent upon the speaker to determine what's offensive and what is not, it is a decision that is made by the recipient as to whether or not they choose to be offended. Well, I obviously agree. Spot on, Bob. Dr. Everett Piper, terrific stuff. Uh, is that is that uh, linked to the uh, uh, the interview that you did on Atwood Unleashed? Is that on your uh, Twitter page? 
Yep, I posted it. Good. I just want people to uh, know what's waiting for them there. Follow Dr. Everett Piper on Twitter at Dr. Everett Piper, just like you think. D-R and then Everett with two T's, Piper. Dr. Everett Piper uh, is his Twitter handle. Follow him there. You can check out his comments there and, of course, his weekly columns in the Washington Times. Dr. Piper, great stuff this week. As always, we'll talk to you next week. Right, Bye-bye. 10.30, news time now. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. the darkness of tyranny. Always Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer. Great conversation with Dr. Everett Piper. If you missed any of that conversation in the uh, last half hour, make sure you check out the podcast page at whkradio.com. About an hour after the show, it should be posted, uh, the entire show, for your review, or if you missed it, to catch up. Uh, whkradio.com. Just look for the podcast page. And uh, Dr. Piper was on at uh, about 10.10 this morning. It was good stuff. I want to give you a quote here. Every parent has the right to choose a school that best meets their students' needs. And I look forward to this bill allowing Ohio's, Ohio's parents to make those choices. Those are the words of Ohio State Senator Sandra O'Brien from Ashtabula, who has introduced Senate Bill 11 called the Parent Educational Freedom Act. Oh, you know what? I apologize. I got my interview times mixed up, didn't I? I'm so sorry about that. Uh, Sandra O'Brien is going to answer that very question. I was about to say she's going to tell us more about what this Educational Freedom Act actually does and means, but my apologies. I got ahead of myself. That conversation's at 1110. Uh, I do have another conversation I want to have now, and this one uh, is as important as anything we'll do today or anything we'll do this year, quite frankly, over the last two years, nothing would be more important to the political prisoners of January 6th than somebody advocating for them. Joining me now is Catherine Engelbrecht. Catherine Engelbrecht uh, is the founder of True the Vote, and uh, she has been looking and working very, very hard uh, to try and bring uh, fairness uh, and integrity back to the electoral process all across this country. She was instrumental behind the uh, instrumental force behind the 2000 Mules movie by Dinesh D'Souza that highlighted the vote steal, vote steal, if you will, or election steal of 2020. And now she's working very, very hard to try to help the political prisoners from January 6th, many of which have been held now, many of whom have been held for over two years without their right to a speedy trial, without their right to counsel or anything else. So now let's bring in Catherine Engelbrecht. Catherine, I apologize for the uh, timing issue there, but it's good to have you on the program. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to have you. We've uh, spoken before, and you do such important and integral work. Um, I've been talking at length with... um, uh, Tom Zawistowski, who, of course, is uh, here as the president of the uh, Northeast Ohio, he's the president of the We the People Convention and Tea Party leader as well. And uh, he informs me of the work that he has been doing uh, with you, talking to you, coordinating and collaborating um, on, on what to do with 14,000 hours of video from uh, the protest-turned-riot on January 6, 2021 that Kevin McCarthy, the speaker, has said he is going to release. And uh, Tom tells me that you have uh, a, a very good idea of how that can be best used without just handing it to the mainstream media to be used and abused in the same way they did in the uh, January 6th committee. So, Catherine, can you tell me what uh, what you would, in an ideal situation, do with those 14,000 hours? 
Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, you mentioned our um, our involvement with the 2000 Mules movie and the research that supported it. Well, part of that was um, the capture of video that was that was supposed to be showing the monitoring and, and of, of the secure monitoring of the of drop boxes, which of course now we know doesn't really happen. And most of the video, as a practical matter, was uh, not usable. But nonetheless. Uh, it it uh, gave us an opportunity over the course of about a year to uh, come up to speed quick on the the ingestion and dissection of massive amounts of video. So mm-hmm. uh, terabytes worth of video, millions and millions and millions of minutes worth of video, and the way to uh, segment that inventory it, segment it, and then use um, certain AI. Uh, tools to be able to try to find similarities within the video and, and so forth. So and that was all used for our purposes with with the ex, with the identification and exploitation of the of the drop boxes. All that said, um, I read Tom's letter to Congress uh, talking about his uh, you know and and as you said at the beginning of this interview, you know, I can't really imagine much more important uh, something much more important than to look at what really happened during January 6th. I think it's 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 a it's a matter of global importance to understand who was really behind what. So when when Kevin McCarthy sp- said publicly that that video was going to be released, we knew that we had set up a a system in place that would allow us to, to ingest that video and then make it public. So. This should be publicly available video. The challenge with this much video, of course, is it's going to fry most people's machines. They won't be able to open. Yeah, they won't be able to open all of it. Likely wouldn't even be able to open a file of it in most instances. But what we can do is parcel it in a way that it makes it digestible to the average American, and that's the goal: is create a create a, a way uh, for the average American to come and see what that video look, really looked like on January 6th and then decide for themselves. And then, of course, it would be a, a researcher's dream to have access uh, with all of the open source tools that are available to begin to find patterns and similarities. So that's that's the idea. Uh, we know we can do it. It's just a function of whether or not um, Congress is going to make good on their promise to release it. And once it's released, we are poised to ingest it. Yeah, and and the question is, is what does it mean to release it, too? We're talking with Catherine Engelbrecht. She is the founder of True the Vote and also King Street Patriots. You know, the, the big concern, and Tom and I have talked about this, and I talked to Congressman Jim Jordan about this as well, who's in, uh, you know chair of judiciary now. And, uh, you know, if they just release it in general to the media, um, it's going to do more harm to the political prisoners um, than it is good, because the media is going to do, as I said before, the same thing the January 6th committee did, and that is choose and select uh, portions of the video absent context that make uh, the rioters and the, uh, you know, the, the Trump supporters look as, as awful as possible and justify what is being done to them. Um, so I don't know how that works. I don't know if it's just they, they make it available to anybody who wants to grab it or if they actually have to send a copy of those terabytes in, in hard drives um, to individual groups like True the Vote or like Tom and We the People Convention, somebody who can apply you know, the, the tech and the software and the algorithms right. that you're talking about to, to really follow everything that happened that day. So 
you know, in, in my opinion, once it's released publicly, it, it should be it, it should be just that released publicly, and whomever has the capacity to do something with it should try. Uh, we are confident in our abilities, but I would be the first to say we shouldn't be the only one. Uh, anybody, I mean, it should be made available publicly, and and you know, let the let the uh, let the researchers come in and do what they can do. You are, however, exactly right with respect to the media. If they only release it to the media, um, we will never see the full and accurate picture of what really happened. Our goal would be to really dig into the. And this is something we we learned uh, very well during our time looking at the Dropbox video. The way to inventory and chronicle. There's every 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 video file has in in embedded within it what's called metadata that tells you sort of the core constructs around the data, when it was filmed, where it was filmed, uh, just the basic basic um, lineage of that video. So to be able to chronicle it so that you see that there are no gaps, uh, you, you know that it's original content, um, and, and be able to present it as a, as a comprehensive set, if you will, uh, is, is really the only way it's going to happen. And it makes me just even even to hear you talk about our fellow countrymen that have been held for now going on two years, it makes my stomach just churn to know that, that every day that is true, and we still don't have full answers around what really happened. Uh, this is the only way, and, and they have to. They, they should release it all, release it publicly. I'm sure that there are other groups that would be ready and, and able to to do a great job. We're just one of them, and we are doggedly determined to make it public as soon as it's available. Well, um, I have another concern, Catherine, uh, if it is released to the public. You know, obviously, I don't want it to be released to the to the media alone for the reasons you and I just discussed. But for the public side, yeah, I would love to have it in your hands because I think your intent and the group that you're representing intends to do good things with it, and that is expose the truth, how, whatever it looks like, to everybody uh, through the tools that you're talking about. But... I also fear if it's made public that, you know, the best Hollywood producers in the world or, or individuals who have the same talents and skills and equipment as the best Hollywood producers in the world who have an intention of, uh, manipulating it, editing it, creating things from sure. it that don't exist. I mean, I mean, we've all seen special effects in which, you know, the world blew up. Uh, it didn't really. They can do remarkable things with CGI and other things. I'm worried about January 6th footage falling into the wrong hands. Uh, and then, you know, here comes yours. Hey, we're highlighting this person, and here comes somebody else's version, in which it's very, very different. And what is America to believe? What is a, what is a viewer to believe? Is the true the vote video right, or is the one coming from over here in this uh, yeah. leftist organization? That got the, uh, you know, the the best producers and editors to to change things. Are they right? I I understand the concern and it's valid. Um, you know, I, and it's and it's a it's a it's a difficult uh, it's a difficult dilemma because yeah. <clears throat> when you make things public, it really just has to be what it is. And here is the full and complete set, and there and that has to be. I mean, from what Congress releases, it it. I should say it, it should be. I don't know that it has to be, but it should be the complete set of video, and then that becomes the the source of truth, and the rest of the extractions become, you know, for our purposes, it would be a, a, a an inventory that would allow for people to look at it in manageable chunks. Otherwise, it's just so overwhelming, and you you just drown in it. So you have to be able to inventory it, catalog it, and 
presented in a way that's that's usable. Um, but yes, I have no doubt. I mean, listen, I, I believe that a lot of what we're already seeing, most of what we're already seeing for J6 is, is a fabrication of a narrative uh, that needed to be supported. So they clipped the video to make it look like, like you know, that, like the storyline that served what they were trying to do in that committee. Um, Go ahead. The only way I know to do it is make it all public. Like that's that's the only way yeah. I, I can think to do it is make it all public, and then you have to stand against the test of whether or not it's been uh, manipulated. Right, and that's uh, that's the big question. We're talking with Catherine Engelbrecht. She's the founder of True the Vote. Um, Catherine, uh, I wanted to ask you about something else, because I think when we're talking about uh, voter integrity, when we're talking about uh, trying to get to the bottom of fraud and irregularities, everything you've done with True the Vote, you have obviously made a lot of enemies who question your credibility, and uh, you've been dealing with this for years <laughs> and years now. But since it's in the news, literally last week, January 23rd, a bunch of stories came out calling you the promoter of election lies, saying you hyped a hospital for Ukraine. <laughs> that never happened either. I don't know the details of this, but again, in the interest of defending your credibility, I want to give you the chance to do exactly that, because I think people need to know. Oh, God, well, thanks. Sure. So that's a pretty simple story, actually. When the war broke out in Ukraine, uh, we wanted to do something. And when I say we, I mean specifically myself and my partner, Greg Phillips, who we have worked on many, many research projects together, and we have worked on projects all over the world together. And so, including uh, two thousand mules, Greg was the the point uh, your point man on two thousand mules. Ab- abs- right. Absolutely, one yeah. of many. But this is you know we just don't publicly talk about everything that we do. Well, so with the with the Ukrainian situation, mm-hmm. there was an opportunity, and we saw a window uh, that that might would have might have made for a uh, a very promising humanitarian effort to put a mobile hospital. There are there are mobile hospitals that are deployed worldwide that allow for. You know, 200 bed staging units for all of the hospitals that that were being, as we were being told, were being blown up by Russians over overseas, and um, it was a humanitarian effort. So, uh, in in short, we tried to see if that would work. Greg went to Ukraine, determined that the corruption there was so thick uh, that you couldn't hold supply lines, you couldn't keep it staffed, you couldn't keep it secured came back to the states and we tried to figure out whether or not there was any other alternative. Could we do triage tents? Could we do supply lines? And then do a hospital? Is there any way to make it work? But the Biden administration continued to put out these edicts that, you know, not only were they pumping in billions, but limiting, um, increasingly limiting who could actually work in country. And it just, it just didn't, it just didn't come together. And so over the course of just a few months, we tried it, we shut it down. We did set up a website that uh, had a PayPal link, and some people stumbled across it. We went, raised a whopping $268 in total. That was returned <laughs> to the donors. Every, every, everything else we paid for out of pocket. But um, And that's the end of the story. So it's kind of this weird, you know, it's hard to defend when there is really no story. It is a work of a pure, what we call journalistic terrorism, uh, where they just they just tried to attach some negative... You know, some some negative smear that is is there's just no there's no there there. We, I'm blown we away by the coverage. We, we tried. Yeah. We did what we could, and that's it. Yeah, I, I'm oh just my blown gosh. away. It tells, you, it tells you that we're very close. We're very close to something that uh, that there are you know hyper hyper progressive elements that will stop at nothing to silence us. Yeah. They'll say anything about it, and it's they pure will. fiction. 
I mean, I'm looking at a search result page right now. I don't use Google. This is a different one. And and, and just typed in your name with, with news, uh, the news feature. Promoters of election uh, lies also hyped a hospital for Ukraine. That never happened either. Texas nonprofit hyped a Ukraine war hospital that never happened. Promoters of election lies also, oh, that's a repeat of a different one. Or, uh, how, Alexi, uh, how Texas election deniers backed a failed effort to bring, no, no one is accusing you guys of fraud. No one is saying you took money, uh, you know, massive amounts of, of money to build this and then didn't do it and absconded with the cash. What the hell is this a news story for? You tried to do something that was humanitarian. It's... They put up a bunch of roadblocks in front of you so that it couldn't go through. And instead of saying nice effort, they're saying you didn't get it done when you promised it would what the hell is that i you know welcome to our world and i mean listen we're we're involved in five different lawsuits right now all of which have elements of the same kind of nonsense that you've just laid out it's wow it it is an absolute um targeted attempt to take us down and silence us and i think that the as, as difficult as it can be um you know, if you can sort of elevate up to that forty thousand foot level and and look down at what the you know what the what the overall picture tells us, it's that there are forces that are determined to silence us, no matter and they, what. And they have to discredit and you in any way that they can in order to silence they, you they and make abs- people not pay attention. That's it. That's that's absolutely right. And, and and the way they do it through the media is is just one of the ways. I mean, the attacks that we are c- consistently under would would take the average person's breath away. But I can tell you this. And I've said it for the last, you know, 13 years. I'm not a quitter, and I'm not scared. And so they can bring their very best. I know why I believe what I believe. I know who I am, and I know that what we are doing is important for for this country, important for the, the movement. And um, you know, they can take their best shot and. We're going to just keep moving forward. I've been watching your work for a while now, and I've talked to you a few different times now, including down there in Texas uh, on KTRH. And uh, uh, you are not only not afraid, you are not a quitter. You are one of the most courageous people I know because you're putting your entire life and your career on the line at all times with this, Uh, your reputation. (laughs) You've got courage. I mean, I I would share a foxhole with you in a second because I know you are fighting for the right, right things. Last thing I have for you, Catherine Engelbrecht, is this. Uh, I talked to Jim Jordan on a fairly, well, a very regular basis on the air. He comes on my program once a week. He's now chair of the Judiciary Committee, and I've talked to him about J6 prisoners. I've talked to him about the J6 film in the same way you and I are talking about it right now. What headway, if any, have you guys made mm-hmm. with Congress in trying to do what we're talking about here and get that film released to the public so that you guys can actually use it in the right way to, um, uh, you know, to find out what really happened that day? Well, Really, we've we've aligned with Tom and trying to keep you know trying to keep a clear signal amidst the noise and and hopeful that that will find its way to a to an opportunity to make a make a presentation. I wouldn't expect that they would just turn it over to us, and that's fine. I mean, if we have to, you know, it, it, whatever it is that we need to do to prove up our capacity and our capability in 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 securing and and supporting uh, the video. I, I mean. We'll do it. You know, Congressman Jordan was incredibly supportive of me when 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 I was involved in another you know storm back a number of years ago when it, when the IRS targeting was uh, afoot, and right, uh, he was right. very supportive then. And I I know he's a, I know he's a man of integrity and a man of his word. I would love the opportunity 
to make a presentation. I mean, to to show them how we would we would approach this video, and it wouldn't, frankly. I'll just say this for the record: it doesn't have to be with True the Vote. I understand that that may or may not be a good fit, and in fact, I would probably be more apt to suggest it would it should be should be separate and apart from a True the Vote air quotes effort. It's just the idea of making the video fully available, fully archived, fully available. We would we would be willing to try to raise the funds for it. It's not like we're looking for a handout to do it. We right. just want to let the truth be seen. Well, that's uh, that's I think is what separates you from people with uh, with ill intentions. You're willing to pay for it. You're willing to uh, to put, to raise the funds just so that the truth can come out, so that uh, uh, justice can be done for everybody from that day, including those who were falsely accused. Um, Catherine Engelbrecht, True the Vote, uh, terrific, terrific conversation. I really appreciate everything that you're doing uh, with King Street Patriots as well. Uh, we're going to follow up. I'll stay in touch with Tom, and I'll continue to communicate and coordinate with the uh, Jordan office to see if we can get some more headway made here. But thank you so very much for updating us. Uh, Let's do it. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's Catherine Engelbrecht joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, I started to introduce uh, State Senator Sandra O'Brien. Uh, I, I made a mistake on the time, but not on the interview. That interview is coming after the news. So stay here as we talk about school choice in Ohio right here on AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Friends on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward, we roll now into our number three. Thanks so much for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. It's nine minutes after 11 o'clock. It's the second morning of the second month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Thanks again to Catherine Engelbrecht. Great conversation with her. Her work is invaluable. And uh, that of Tom Zawistowski and uh, the work that we are trying to uh, collaborate and coordinate with uh, Congressman Jim Jordan and other members of Congress who are concerned about justice for January 6th political prisoners. Uh, it's very, very important work. That 14,000 hours does need to be released. If you missed any part of that interview, with the exception of the beginning, don't go back and listen to that because I introduced the wrong person. <laughs> but if you missed any of the good part of the interview, which is the conversation, check it out. Uh, after the show, go to uh, whkradio.com. About an hour after the show ends, about 1 o'clock, it'll be up and ready for you at whkradio.com. Just go to the podcast page. Now, when I introduced Catherine Engelbrecht at the top or at the uh, bottom of the hour, I mistakenly introduced our next guest, 
who I do want to do for the, uh, uh, for the right reason this time, correctly. She said, and I quote, every parent has the right to choose a school that best meets their students' needs. And I look forward to this bill allowing Ohio's parents to make those choices. The bill she's talking about is her bill that she introduced last week. It is Senate Bill 11, the Parent Educational Freedom Act. And the aim is to expand the current EdChoice scholarship program uh, to give more eligibility to more parents. Here to tell us more about it is State Senator Sandra O'Brien. This time, I'm sure she's here. Uh, Senator O'Brien, good to have you on the program this morning. How are you? I am fine. Thank you, Bob. And it's, it's great to be with you and your listeners. I'm delighted that you have a sense of humor. <laughs> I had no choice when I do something as as embarrassing as I did, as I introduced you with a great quote and everything else, and then my producer whispers, "It's Catherine Engelbrecht." <laughs> what are you gonna do? Oh, guys, yeah. So, so thank you for giving me this opportunity. If you want, I'll I'll, I'll just explain um, my bill in in a nutshell, so that. Your listeners have an idea of exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, I definitely want to hear that in some depth, if you can. Um, and and then I want to compare or contrast it to, you know, the House bill that's been kicked around for a bit now that we are hoping is passed called the Backpack Bill and find out if this is something that can be done in collaboration with or if these are two very separate types of ideas on how to expand school choice in Ohio. So tell us about SB 11 first. Okay, SB 11... The Parental Educational Freedom Act is a bill that will it'll provide five thousand five hundred dollars for students in grades K through eight, and seven thousand five hundred dollars for students in grades nine through twelve. And this money may be used at any public, uh, community, or chartered non-public school. This is exactly the same benefit that is currently available in, in Ohio's EdChoice and EdChoice Expanded Scholarship Program. There is a $2,000 homeschool tax credit. It's similar to how it is currently written in the revised code, and it may be used for educational expenses such as uh, books, supplies, subscription software, any material that uh, a home, a parent that's homeschooling their child would use directly for home instruction. So it doesn't change the current autism scholarship or any of the John Peterson special needs programs. Mm -hmm. But the reason I'm, I'm wholeheartedly pushing this bill is because it's time. It's time for Ohio to, to act now and put our parents, not government, in control of their children's education. These state dollars should follow our students, not systems. And most of us already know that one size does not fit all. So that's well, that is yeah, that that is that is evident, and uh, you know, I, I know a lot of families who have benefited from Ed Choice. I know others who wish they could have, uh, and they wanted to take advantage of the, uh, you know, the, and I can't remember exactly what it was. Was it originally for grades nine to twelve, fifty five hundred, and the seventy five hundred now is an increase of two thousand? Was is that right? Basically, yes, yes. Yeah, but, and, and but the you problem, know what? Oh, okay. 
Go ahead. Oh, no, I was no, going to go say, ahead. some of the families that I spoke to, you know, back when my kids were in um, Catholic school and in uh, junior high school, and we were talking to people about where their kids are going to high school and so forth, there are some families who absolutely wanted to put their kids into the Catholic schools, but unfortunately, the lowest uh, tuition for a Catholic school at that time, now we're talking about six years ago, was uh, was around $8,900, and that was Elyria Catholic where my kids went. The others are much, much more than that. So even with a $5,500 uh, ed choice, um, a grant, if you will, uh, uh, you know, it's still not affordable. They just didn't have the extra twenty five hundred or three thousand or four thousand or whatever it took to get there. So I love the idea of the increase, but the question, of course, becomes: Is this still enough for people who really want to get out of a bad public school situation to get out of it? Okay, we've we've got some good news here, Bob. Okay, just on Tuesday, last Tuesday, the governor, our governor Dewine, gave, gave his state of the state address. Mm-hmm. Okay, he has come aboard our school choice bandwagon in a huge way. His proposal is that any family whose income is 50% or less of the federal poverty guidelines would be eligible for this scholarship. So that means, let's say you have a family of four Mm-hmm. If that family of four is earning less than $111,000, they will be eligible for the scholarships. So when I look at what the governor was proposing, the main di- difference between his proposal and my Senate Bill 11 is I want universal school choice. I, I, I would like all Ohio school children to be eligible However, the governor's proposal is a giant step forward. I guess you could say when I look at the governor's proposal, it's like it's like kicking a field goal, but with my bill, I am still hoping for a touchdown if I can get it. You're going for it on fourth and one. <laughs> You're yes. going to try to keep the drive alive. Right? I, like, that's good that's, I like that yeah. metaphor. That works. Uh, we're, that, we're talking, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to remind everybody we're talking with State Senator Sandra O'Brien from Ashtabula introducing last week Senate Bill 11, the Parent Educational Freedom Act, and how this would work to expand Ed Choice scholarships uh, for students and uh, also expand the current homeschool tax credit from $250 to $2,000, which is, of course, very important. So um, how do you, because you say you're for universal school choice, I am too, um, how do you respond to the public school defenders who say, no, you cannot do this, it's going to gut public school education if you take those dollars that are allocated for each student's education and let them follow, as, a la the backpack bill? Um, if you take those dollars away from the public schools, they won't be able to afford their facilities, their staff, their teachers, their administration, and so on and so forth, and the entire system will crumble. That's what they argue. How do you respond to them? First, I just want to give your listeners a little bit of background. I was a teacher before I was a legislator. I was also county auditor, 17-year public school teacher, and I I went to public schools, even though I did send my children to Catholic school. However, so I, I know exactly what we're facing here, and the assumption that this Parental Educational Freedom Act will hurt Ohio's public schools financially is simply not accurate. It's a red herring to distract from the purpose of this bill, which which is to give parents the right to choose their child's education. 
And as you know, Bob, this is a national movement by parents to take control of their, their education. Just, uh, I think last week, Iowa and um, Utah came on board with universal school choice. Now, I'm going to give you a couple points to, to, to that, are, that are really go right to the heart of this. Okay, over the last 10 years, while the number of EdChoice participants has tripled in Ohio, there was not a harmful effect on the public school's financial positions. They have a they have to report their budgets and they have what we call a a cash balance that that you bring over from one year to start your next one. Okay, the collect during this time, the collective cash balances of Ohio's public schools has more than doubled in the last ten years going from $3.8 billion to $8.7 billion. The 3.8 was 20.8% of their total budget. Now they're carrying over 41.7%. We're approaching half of their carryover. Our state's school choice programs will not negatively harm the public school's financial position. Now, the second point is extremely important because 100% of the local tax revenue, your property taxes, stays in the public school district even if every student left on an Ed Choice scholarship. Therefore, the per-pupil revenue for a public district actually increases. And the more students who leave, the higher their per pupil revenue increases. Last year, fiscal year 22, the total that Ohio districts received from this local tax revenue was $11 billion. So again, we have to get out there and we have to make our points known. And I am not against our public schools. Competition is the, is the equalizer here. When we look at data that shows um, where, where our ed choice scholarships are and we look at the public school, those students' academic achievement is going up. And, which and that's which? In, Th- those those in the public schools still? Yes, yes. Ninety eight percent of the studies show that from the Be- because um, of because of smaller because of smaller student to teacher ratios, I assume. And not only that, remember what I just told you: they have more money per pupil. And well, let's go to competition. I, I do, competition. I do, I do remember what you just told me, but I wanted to follow up on that. I was going to give you a chance sure. to finish your point, but let me interrupt it okay. now sure. to follow up on that. My question is. Sure. Do you think that property owners and voters in districts, knowing that the district enrollment has shrunk so much, are going to be passing levies? Are they going to be voting to increase their taxes or even to keep the existing number of mills, for example, uh, to keep uh, their property taxes where they are if they know that their local public school has shrunk from, say, 1,500 students to 700 because of, uh, because of school choice and because of ed okay. choice, I mean? Well, whether they will or not, what I'm trying to do is arm them with the proper knowledge. Now, let, let me, let me uh, give you a little bit of data. 
There's been a recent study done. Um, it, it was funded from the Fordham Institute in Ohio, and it was authored by an Ohio State University professor, Lover too. And he examined three different areas, um, academic performance, finances, and segregation data. As Ed Choice expanded, which would have been the year two, two, 2006 when it was first launched through 2019, and um, they, they used hard evidence, rigorous statistical methods, and they separated the voucher impacts from other influences like um, demographic trends. So here's what they found out. Academic, the achievement of district schools rises as a result of school choice. And this follows other studies that I mentioned before showing a positive competitive effect on public schools. District schools benefit academically when competition intensifies. Okay, the second point that they found, EdChoice helped to ease public school segregation. Black and Hispanic students who remain in district schools have a more diverse educational experience than they would have had if without the absence of EdChoice. And the third point, EdChoice does not impact the district's per-pupil expenditures, nor does it cause local property taxes to rise. Again, they continue to to retain these locally generated tax dollars, even if enrollments decline. That leaves more local money available to educate the students who remain in the public schools. Okay, so so, again, so Senator yeah. Senator O'Brien, I've I've only got about two minutes left, so I'm going to jump in here sure. and clarify okay, sure. for me then the difference between this and the backpack bill. Is it that the backpack bill does essentially take those per pupil dollars and send them to the with the with the kids to whatever new school they want to, and it would be more detrimental to the public schools? Okay, uh, no, the, our schools kind of mirror each other, Bob. To tell you the truth. Um, they, they do the homeschoolers a little a little differently in their bill, and they, they, the actual administrative part of it would change. Mine, my bill just mirrors what we're already doing. I just thought it was sim- simpler to keep it the way we're already doing it and just expand it. But I can't say that I, I, I mean, I'm for Ed Choice, and, and if we end up with a House bill, okay, just keep just keep moving the needle forward. And I will tell you something. Ohio should be gr- very grateful to their Senate president, Matt Huffman, because he has been in the legislature for many years now. And this is one point that he has been an activist on. And how Ohio has moved since he was first in the House to now he is our Senate president is, is something most of us would have said this couldn't possibly happen. And it has. And and so he deserves some credit here. He really he really does. But we're ready to go. We're going with the movement, and we're we're going to have Ed Choice in Ohio. We we are we are to more and more and more people. I'm hoping everyone, but we'll have to see because bills get um, obviously uh, 
amended a little along the way. Yeah, but they I, do. I feel good about the bill. I really well, do. And I, and I, I really do. like the idea of the expanded uh, tax credit for the, for the homeschooling because more and more parents are coming to realize uh, they just cannot find either affordable or the right kind of school for their kid where they won't get indoctrinated rather than educated and they're going to do it themselves or they're going to co-op with other parents and find tutors to do it themselves in their homes. So uh, I think that's right. a great uh, option for parents. Uh, yeah, so Senator- one more thing. Ask, mm-hmm. ask them it, to, what they can do now to help is contact, you can find us on the Internet, contact their state senator, their state representative, the Speaker of the House, and tell them you want Senate Bill passed, Senate Bill 11 passed as is. That would help. Very well. Thank you. Senator Sandra O'Brien, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for your great work on this, and we'll follow up with you as this works its way through the legislative process. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. All right, that's Senator O'Brien. We'll take our time out and get to our newscast here. That'll open up the last segment for you. If you've got a response to this or to the conversation with Dr. Piper or the conversation with Catherine Engelbrecht or something completely off the table, you decide. 216-901-0945. Always Right Radio is right back. America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1138, Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The Answer. Three really, really good interviews that I think you're going to want to hear if you miss them. Highly advise you to uh, take advantage of the podcast page, whkradio.com. Just go to podcast page on the top, then scroll down to uh, local podcast, go to the Bob France. Uh, Always Right Radio page, and you will be able to catch up with the interviews. We heard uh, from Dr. Everett Piper. We heard from Catherine Engelbrecht from True the Vote. And we heard, of course, from Senator O'Brien about school choice in the state of Ohio. All of them very important issues. Let's get a call in here from uh, Carl, who wants to follow up on Senator O'Brien talking about school funding. Hey, Carl, you're welcome, uh, welcome to the program. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Oh, thank you very much, Bob. I appreciate what the senator and, the, and some of the people in the uh, House are trying to do about school funding, but I think they're dancing around the main problem. Over 20 years ago, the Ohio State, uh, the state of Ohio Supreme Court declared the way we fund schools through property taxes was unconstitutional. Why isn't anybody following through? I know Jim Nernacy had talked about it, but it nope, doesn't seem like anybody has the gumption to um, follow through and change this. It's just the uh, for a guy on uh, fixed income, it's just very difficult. Any idea if anybody's going to try to do something with this finally? Well, how many years have we been talking about this? You know, how Over many years? <laughs> I mean, decades and decades and decades. It's been decided that it was unconstitutional uh, to make property owners pay for everything. Uh, you know, for the schools, and uh, and no one has ever done anything. I, I, I. That would be a great answer, or a great question rather, for a state representative, a state senator, and I'll ask it. I will ask it. I talk to them on a fairly regular basis. Lately, it's about the mess that's in the uh, uh, state house, as you know. But it's a good question. Uh, it's just that there doesn't seem to be an appetite on the left or the right, Republicans or Democrats, to look at this decision and say, we can't keep doing this. Like you said, people on fixed incomes who can't afford to see their property taxes continue to be hiked every couple of years with more millage and uh uh, you know, for schools that they don't even have kids in anymore. Not that that's the be all end all, you know, issue here because the communities are better when you have better schools. But, 
I get your point, and uh, and no, I I don't know what the answer is. I just know that every time it's brought up in meetings, in uh, 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 by by uh, public comment sections, by by uh, people going down to talk to uh, the legislators, it's uh, yeah, we'll take that under advisement. We'll look into that. We'll find out, and but nobody ever does anything, and I can't imagine it's going to change. Is there any way that uh, some you know good lawyer or, or group or somebody could get after? Um, Dave Yost or somebody, and just say, "Hey, um, this is the um, was declared as the constitutional. They should put a stop to it all until it's resolved." You know, it's, it's yeah, I, you know, I know, I know it's been considered. Like I said, because we've been talking about this for probably a couple of decades. I think when I say we, you know, I mean people who who know. Um, and I'm sure they've gone to lawyers, and I'm sure lawyers have weighed in on it and decided it's not something they can pursue. I don't know why. You know, maybe that's another good question for Kirsten now, in addition to the legislators. I mean, I, I'm, I wish I had a better answer for you, but I, this is one that I know has been asked of people in the Board of Education, the State Board of Education. It's been asked of governors. It's been asked of legislators and senators. And, uh, and like I said, nothing ever gets done about it. So uh, I don't know what it would take. A threat of a lawsuit, I'm sure, has already been made. Because the question they, they're going to come back with you, uh, at, uh, at you with, I should say, is obvious. Okay. If we don't fund the schools through property taxes, how do you want to fund them? Do you want to see a massive spike in your income tax? Do you want to see a massive spike in sales tax? You know, sales tax already used for, you know, those dollars already earmarked for, for you know, uh, uh, public benefit. So they're going to say if we don't do it with property taxes, they are public schools. They have to be funded somehow. How do you want to pay? And yeah, inevitably, exactly. the answer goes back to that. <laughs> That's the basis of a very good debate. I mean, it's the same thing with income. You know, I mean, yeah. either a flat tax or a, or a sales tax or usage tax or something like that. But so would you, you, let me ask you personally, since you brought it up, uh, w- would you prefer to see your income taxes hiked or or your property taxes in order to pay for the schools in your community to make sure? Either one, I'd rather go to a sales tax. You'd rather go to a sales tax, but sales taxes are, you know, I mean, they're, they're already, there's talk now, as you know, um, uh, in abol- uh, uh, of abolishing the entire IRS, the entire income tax system, and replacing it with like a 30% national sales tax. I don't know how much higher it could go to have to fund schools out of that as well. Well, I mean, it, it just seems something. It just seems like, uh, you know, all this uh, um, backpack stuff and everything like that is just, to me, just a dance around the, the main issue. The constitutional issue. No, and you're right. I mean, and as a, somebody who supports the Constitution, and we fight the left who likes to tear apart the Constitution all the time, I wish I had the answer. I swear I do, because I'd probably make a lot of money on it. I could go sell it to somebody and, and didn't cash in, but or run for office and institute whatever my answer is, but I can't figure but it out you myself. Can, you can pay for the schools. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, thank you for the call, my friend. I appreciate it. All right, there you go. That's uh, Carl and Burton. Yeah, I mean, if anybody has that answer, maybe we can take this up on tomorrow's program as well. If if property taxes have been deemed to be unconstitutional, an unconstitutional way of funding uh, the schools, then what is a an alternative? Um, again, nobody likes to have to pay taxes for anything, but we pay it willingly knowing we need the roads to be paid. We need the bridges not to collapse. Nobody likes to have to pay taxes for law enforcement, but we need somebody to help us if somebody steals our car or threatens our family or harms us. We know we don't like to have to pay taxes uh, uh, to fund the fire department, but if you have a fire and you have an emergency, you better have somebody coming and they don't work for free. We have to fund these necessary uh, services. Nobody wants to have your taxes go up to, to, to uh, uh, buy new trash collection trucks. 
But you sure as heck don't want the garbage piling up on your curb, do you? So you pay it. And it's the same thing with the schools. Nobody wants to have to pay uh, to fund the schools through their property taxes. But if you don't fund it that way, you're going to have to fund it somewhere else. You have no schools. We're going to do it with your kids then. They don't work for free. So I don't know the answer, but it's a hell of a question. Maybe one will take up on Free For All Friday tomorrow. Thanks, everybody, for being a part of it today. Thanks to my team. And uh, be well. Be safe. Stay free. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.